within every single one of us, I realize that there's a desire to belong to a safe place, a place that they can feel accepted and loved, um, whether that's going to be a, a school, a church, or especially in the home. And, you know, I recently came from a speaking engagement at a camp meeting, and as I was trying to have these breakout groups and people were sharing and wanting to share, I realizing that um, they were having a hard time in this place that I was at. Um, they were having a hard time with the breakout sessions and being transparent, especially in this location. And it's not in this country, so it's another country. They have a hard time being real and transparent, and they couldn't do it. I noticed that my seminars was actually decreasing and with less attendance in every session. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, what am I doing wrong, you know? And it's like, this getting less and less people. And it finally clicked, and people were telling me, look, the people in this country, and somebody just told me recently, my head elder's wife told me, um, that this country, the people are very secretive. They don't like to be transparent. They don't like to be real. I mean, that's how we are in America, but even more so, okay? So they didn't want to open up and share, so it was getting less and less, and like, wow, what's going on? And finally, it was coming out in this breakout session that people were saying, Look, the problem is that we don't feel that our churches are safe places. That they cannot be real. They cannot be transparent. They cannot tell the struggles they're struggling with. They can't talk about the pains and the, the sins they're going through and all these other things. They cannot be real at church. So they have to be fake and they have to live a lie. Is it only in this country or do you think it's in your home churches too? you think that's true? Can you guys, how many of you guys feel you can be real in your churches? Let me see your hands. Okay, okay, good. Okay, that's good. I see a few hands. So you can actually have that, that realness. Um, in Hawaii, there's a place called... How many have been to Hawaii? Let me see your hands. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a lot of you guys there. How many of you guys didn't go to Hawaii? That's a better question. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a few of you guys. How many of you guys want to go to Hawaii? <laughs> So in Hawaii, is a place called Puhonua or Ho Nao Nao. How many of you have been to the big island of Hawaii? How many of you have been to that place, Puhonua or Ho Nao Nao, which is actually called, in English, they actually call it also the city of refuge. How many of you have been to that? Let me see your hands. Well, okay, only two people. How many of you heard of like the city of refuge in the Bible? Okay, in this city of refuge in the Bible... If you have committed a crime, you could go to the city of refuge, right? So let me tell you about the city of refuge in Hawaii because it's very similar to the city of refuge in Hawaii. So it's a place that you, um, they had to swim to. It's right off the coast of, in Kona, Hawaii. And you had to swim to this island. And as you go to this island, um, if you have committed like a murder, a kapu, is something like a, is a, a, you broke a law, a kapu, where actually you broke it, there was a death penalty for doing that. So they would chase you down. And they're trying to kill you. And as you go to this island, that island was called the City of Refuge, which was at um, Ho Nao Nao means actually refuge, a place of safety, of peace. And it was at this place that actually you were safe. So it was actually called a safe place. And that's what is important about having this City of Refuge. Um, the problem is, that this city is no more, right? Because there's no kapu laws. Um, there's only a structure of saying there's a safe place, but it's no longer truly a safe place. And in the same way, I think a lot of times we say that our churches are really safe places, but I really don't believe it in the sense that 
um, I feel like a lot of people are getting baptized into the churches and they're coming to the church and a lot of them are ending up, they don't, within six months or two years, you know, I saw one, saw one statistic, up to 70% of the people who um, got baptized end up leaving the church within two years. So you see that this is not a safe place. The homes are not safe places. People are running away from home or they actually want to leave home early. Um, I have a problem, I guess I saw with a certain culture in Hawaii where a lot of the young people were actually joining the military as a way to escape the home. And so I see there's like a trend of people like they want to get away because they feel the home is not a safe place and the churches are not safe places. And it looks like the city of refuge. It looks like it's a safe place. There. The, the form and structure of the city of refuge is still up, but it's not operating. In other words, that may look like the churches are safe places, but it's truly not operating how God, I believe, wants us to operate. So Pu'ohonua means safe place. So my question is this afternoon, where is your Pu'ohonua? Where is your safe place? I have a friend. He works for CPS, Child Protective Services, which is CWS right now. So he goes into the homes and he has to work with the children and he's uh, uh, watching out for the children and protecting them. And he said every time he goes out, he always asks the young people, the children, and the young teenagers the same question. And he asks them this, where is your safe place? Where is your safe place? In other words, where's a place that you can go that you feel safe? I mean, you're going to get into trouble, you know, you're getting you know, arrested, and you're getting all these problems with the police. And, but if you can find your safe place, because he knew that if you find your safe place, you're going to thrive, you're going to do well. So where is your safe place? So he told me the story of one, these three teenagers where they were running away from home and they were escaping the police and running away from the police. And he has a way of finding people. I'm better than the police. He can track you down because he's born and raised there. I mean, he just knows how to find you. So he actually found them, and the police haven't even found them yet, you know. He finds them, and he talks to them, and he says, where's your safe place? And they said, think about your safe place. And they said to him, our safe place is with grandma and grandpa. But we can never go there because the CPS law says that if they have a criminal record, they cannot take care of you. So because they had a criminal record, grandma and grandpa couldn't take care of these teenager children. And so he said, come with me. So he went to grandma and grandpa, and he said to them, look, I know your record, but your, your grandkids really want to be with you. And if you're willing to take them, then I'm going to pretend that they're not here. <laughs> he did that. He does that, by the way. I can't say his name, but he does that. <laughs> so he does that, and um, so what happened? Let me tell you what happened with this story. So these teenagers who were like getting into problems with the law and running away, they went to um, the grandparents who was illegal to go, and he left them. He said, I don't see them. They're not here. So he left them alone. So they were actually being raised, right, by the grandparents. And do you know what? These troubled teenagers, they're doing so horrible and just getting trouble to police and all that. It's doing so bad. And afterward, they began to do so good and so well. And even the police still don't know where they're at, okay? And so they finally, after months later, the police still don't know where they're at, these teenagers, and they're running from the law. And they're there, and my friend tells me that, you know, they contacted him, and they say, look, please, 
We want to go come in and turn ourselves in, and we want to go back to high school. We want to finish school. What do you say? Amen? You know what made the difference? And there's something that's really hitting me. What made the difference was that they were now in a safe place. They were in a safe environment. And so it really hit me like, don't, let's not underestimate the power of actually having a safe place. Like, if we can only get our young people into like an environment that is actually safe, that is actually conducive to spiritual growth, that actually helps people to grow spiritually, if we can only get them there, you're going to see amazing things happen. You can get them into a, a home where they can thrive or they can get into a church group that actually is, is a nurturing group. Amazing things can happen. And so that's what this whole presentation is about. It's called a safe place. So may God become, help us to experience in our hearts the true safe place, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, help us to understand and to apply what you want us to learn is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to go through the story here in the prodigal son. So we're doing parables. We're going to do a parable here and we're going to do a parable the next session right after this. So Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13 is the opening text. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. Now, what did the youngest son do? Luke 15, verse 11 to 13. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So he had how many sons again? Two sons, right? Okay, and then in verse 12, right? What did the son say here to the father? What do you say? Give me my inheritance, right? Now, normally, when do people normally get an inheritance? After what? After your parents die, right? You get the will, right? And the will says you get a certain amount of money. So was the father dead yet? So what is he saying here, basically, to his dad? That he wished what? I wish you were dead. So here you have a son who is actually disrespectful to his father, right? He wanted the money. He only cared about the money. So he was disrespectful to his dad, and he wanted to go. And then it says here in 13, not many days after, the younger son, he got everything, and he went to where? Where does the Bible say he went to? Uh, what? A country. So in other words, if you're in the United States, he went away to where? Canada, right? Or Mexico. But not even that. It says not just a country, but what? Far country. So if you're in the United States and you went to a far country, where would you be then? Egypt. <laughs> Europe. Where else? China. Morocco. Whatever, yeah? <laughs> so you're way out there far, far away. So that's where he went. Now, why do you think he probably went far away? Could he have just been around to the next town, got the money, and just blow it all away and just had fun, right? Was his goal only in having fun? Because he could have blown it even at home. He could probably have stayed at home, right? But, but maybe he could have just went to the next town or maybe even to Canada, right? Why a foreign country, you think? Get away from his father, right? He wanted to get away. So maybe didn't like... Maybe being at home for some reason, right? Did you have something? He's been more safe. Huh? He's been more safe. 
oh, more exciting. You're probably living in like a small town, right? I want to go down to like LA. But maybe LA is in the still country, same country. Who knows that? But another country probably is probably more exciting, right? Okay. So Luke 15, verse 14 to 16. Let's continue on our story in the prodigal son. So verse 14, the Bible says, But when he had spent, how much? All, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Right? Then it says here, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So, we had all this money, he went to a foreign country, what did he do with all his money? He what? He blew all his money. How many of you been there before? <laughs> That's me, right? This is me. I'm the prodigal son ten times over, okay? <laughs> blow my money. So he spent all the money, and it rose a severe famine in the land, and now he's began to be in want. So now he's hitting, he lost everything, now he's hitting his rock bottom. You ever heard of that before? He had to hit the worst part of his life. Things were not going well. And then it says here, now when he began to want, you know, he had no money, he needed things, he'd actually been in need. The Bible says here also in 15 that he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, unequally yoked, right? And then it says here, and he sent him to the fields to feed what? Swine. What are the swine? Pigs. So what do you know about Jews and pigs? <laughs> What do you know about Seventh-day Adventists and pigs? <laughs> pigs are unclean, right? So the Jew, the pig was unclean, and not only were you not supposed to eat it, I mean, you're not even supposed to even touch the carcass, right? Or you'd be considered what? Unclean, right? So the Jews, they stayed far away. So, I mean, he had hit his rock bottom. He lost all his money, spent all, blew all his money, and now he's actually unequally yoked, right? And not only was he unequally yoked, but now he's actually with pigs and feeding pigs here. And that's what he was doing. Now, he hit his rock bottom. And then not only what happened here, look at the Bible says in verse um, 15. He sent him to the field. So he was actually feeding um, pigs, right? But not only that, but what did he want to do as he was feeding the pigs? What did he want? What did he see there in the Bible text? He wanted to what? He wanted to eat the pig slop, right? So in other words, he was so hit rock bottom, lost all his money, he's touching pigs, and he's actually craving, he's hit rock bottom so much, he's craving to eat pig slop, the very food he's feeding the pigs. Now, I want you to notice that in the end it says here, and no one gave him what? Anything. My question is, what happened to his friends? Wasn't he looking for a safe place maybe in his friends, right? Some kind of community he thought that he wasn't getting at home, that he wasn't maybe happy with at home, that he actually wanted to run far away from home and go far into a far country and go to another country because he wasn't happy. Now he thought he could find a true community, a, a safe place, so he thought, with his friends. But now his friends were just using him for money and actually there's no place to be found. And then he found out that, you know, let me tell you something about true friends. It is when you go through hard times that you find out who your true friends are. True? When things are not going good in your home, maybe your parents are going to divorce, you're, no one's really um, being there for you, you find out who your true friends are who stick around when you actually don't have the money. 
where you don't have the nice car, you don't have anything to offer them, then you find out, okay, who are my true friends? And I know through my experiences in my life that what I've gone through, that it's hard to find friends. And we should surround ourselves with those who have a safe place for us. Now, look at verse 17 to 19. What did the son think about? He repented, but what did he think about before he repented? Notice the Bible says here in verse 17. The Bible says, but when he came to his senses himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? And I'll rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired, what? Servants, right? So what made him turn to want to come back home in this story here? What do you see here? Why did he want to come home? Because what? Okay, he had a need. Okay, good. Why do you think he repented? What was in this story that you think you see here that makes him want this, this prodigal son? What made it him to repent? I'm making you think, huh? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, good. So he saw that the servants that worked for his father were treated better than him, right? Okay, good. So what did he see? What did he see in that? He saw what? The character of his father, that his father was what? Bad or good? He was what? He was good. So how is the connection between repentance or what he experienced and actually seeing his father as being good? What is that connection there? <laughs> it's my, one of my favorite texts I always use. Do you guys know what it is? Romans what? Chapter 2 verse 4, right? Which is the goodness of God, which you said, right? Leads us to what? repentance. So this prodigal son, the only reason he repented was because he saw for the first time that his father was actually good. And when he saw the goodness of his father, then he actually repented. And the same thing goes through you and me. In other words, many times we may leave our home. Many times we may leave the church and we leave God because you know why? We have never seen God for being good. We've never seen him for being loved. We've never seen him for being compassionate. And we leave, and then we go to the world, and we hit the rock bottom out there, and it's actually when we finally see a, just a glimpse that your heavenly Father is actually good, that glimpse will bring us to repentance. What a wonderful God. What do you say? Amen? And that's what brought the prodigal son back to repentance. And you think, what is that important? How do we get people in our churches to have repentance. How do you get people out in the world? What we must do is we must show them a picture of God that the God is actually good. What do you say? Amen? And when you show a picture to God, they left the church. They left your home because they were not happy. Like the prodigal son, they want to run far away from church, the church home, right? And so what they're looking for, they're looking for a safe place and safe people because a place is made out of people, not just an institution or a building, right? So they're looking for a safe person in you and a safe person in me. And I want to be that person. How about you? What do you say? Huh? Amen? So when he saw that goodness, and I want you to notice also that this safe place, the goodness of God that he saw, was it something big that he saw about his father? Or was it something small? All he saw was a little glimpse of his servants, you know, just being treated with a little better food than how he was eating, right? 
this something small we would take for granted. And yet that goodness was enough for him to experience repentance. And that's how God wants to do with us also. All he needs is just a little glimpse of God's goodness, and that will bring us to repentance. Look what happened next in 15 verse 20. Luke chapter 15 verse 20. Notice the Bible says here. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and what? Kissed him. So as he's walking back home, he's rehearsing what he's going to say. And there in the distance, the father was there waiting for him. Now, if he's been waiting for that one time, don't you think that he was also waiting every single day, right, for his son? He was waiting because he was longing to see his son. The son finally came home. And the Bible says that he had compassion upon him. You see, even though this son didn't see it, this father was still a compassionate father. True? Amen? And the same way, even though we may not fully see it, we must still believe that our God in heaven is still a compassionate father. What do you say? Amen? And the father ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And never mind he smelled like pigs. Never mind he looked all dirty. Never mind he was so filthy. For his father still loved him and embraced him because that boy was still his son. And beloved, never mind you smell like spiritual pigs. Never mind you look spiritually dirty. Never mind you are spiritually filthy. For your heavenly father will still love and embrace you. Why you still are dirty and smelly? And with rags on your body, Christ will come and he will wrap his arms and hug you and kiss you. What a God we serve. What do you say? Amen? In other words, you don't have to change. God's going to love you and accept you as you are, as this prodigal son was accepted. Why? Because you are his child and God loves you. What happened next in 21 and 22? Notice the Bible says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, like he totally ignored his son, and he said, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. You see, even though he was giving out his confession to the father, the father totally ignored him, brought out the best robe. Now, this best robe was the father's robe. It was a special robe. And he used his robe to cover all the wretchedness of his son so that no longer you saw his wretchedness but you saw the father's robe and you know that's what God does to you and me what is he amen he brings out the best robe which is the Christ perfect righteousness we're talking about Christ our righteousness Christ perfect righteousness is given to us and it covers us now look at your handout there's a handout here I want to look at this quotation from Review and Herald November 4, 1890 so this is righteousness by faith our Heavenly Father has a robe of righteousness to give to us that will cover all our wickedness. So I want you to notice what it says here. It says here, righteousness is obedience to the law. So in other words, the word righteousness means that you become obedient to the law of God. So the law demands that you and I become righteous. And this the sinner owes to the law, but he is incapable of rendering it. In other words, we cannot make ourselves good. The only way in which we can attain to righteousness is through what? faith. By faith, he can bring to God the merits of Christ, and the Lord places the obedience of his Son to the sinner's account. 
Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure, and God receives, pardons, justifies a repentant, believing soul, treats him as though he were righteous, and loves him as if he loves his son. What do you say? Amen? In other words, you know the 33 years Jesus lived on this earth? Wasn't that a perfect life? You know what God does? He takes those 33 years... And when you accept Christ into your life, know what he does? He puts that 33 years into your life. So now when he sees you, he sees 33 years of perfection of Jesus living a perfect life whenever he looks at you. What a God. Amen? That is Christ our righteousness. When God the Father looks at you and he sees Jesus being perfect in you, you don't have to worry about your perfection because your perfection is in Jesus Christ, right? And because that's a justification, and now because his life is in you, he starts to change your life. You start to become a new person, a new creature in Jesus Christ. Look at the next quotation from Signs of the Times, April 10th, 1893. You know, people struggle like, oh, you know, I can't be never good or I'm never good enough. You know, the Bible says, the righteous man falls how many times? Seven times, right? And gets back up again, right? So in other words, Christ is looking for the right relationship you have with him, whether you receive the righteousness of Christ or not. Because if you receive that, you may stumble, but the Bible is still calling you righteous even though you've fallen seven times. What do you say? Amen? And so God is looking at you as if you have never sinned. Notice what it says here. We are not to serve God as if we were not human, but we are to serve Him as those who have been redeemed by the Son of God. And through the righteousness of Christ, we shall stand before God pardoned as though we have never, what? Sinned. In other words, when you stand before with Christ's righteousness, of His robe of righteousness, He looks at you as if you had never sinned one sin in your whole life. How many of you have ever sinned a sin in your life? Let me see your hand. You know what? I've sinned, you know, so when I see that Christ's righteousness is over me, you know what freedom I have in that? Like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to fall. I did this sin, I did this, this. You know, I know that, well, Christ covers me, that I am considered righteous in God's eyes. What a God we serve. What do you say, amen? But what else did the Father do? Look at verse 23 to 24. Luke chapter 15, verse 23 and 24. Notice the Bible says. It says here, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and he began to be merry. So the father threw a great celebration and celebrated the fact that his son was once dead, is now alive, and that he was once lost and is now found. I want you to notice that the father's happiness was not based upon what his son was doing, but this father's happiness was based upon whether his son was rightly related to him or not. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father's joy is not so much based upon what we're doing or not doing, but instead our Heavenly Father's joy is based upon whether we have a right relationship with God. Because God knows that once we have a right relationship with Him and His righteousness is given to us, then will we start to do good things. And that's what God wants us to have in our lives, right doing His righteousness. You know, how many brothers were there in this story? Two. So we look at the first brother, right? And there's actually a second brother here in verse 25 to 28. And normally we look at the prodigal son. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the second brother in verse 25 to 28. Note what the Bible says next. 
Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But he, the older brother, was what? Angry, mad, and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So the older brother heard the music, and he heard the dancing, and he asked the servant what was going on. He told that there was actually a party going on because of his younger brother had come back. And he wouldn't go into the party. You see, in the culture of the time, it was the responsibility of the older brother to go out and to greet the guests, that whenever they came in and make them feel comfortable. Now, as the older brother was angry, and not only that, but the other son's anger toward his younger brother was so strong that he wouldn't even go in. In other words, this older brother was an abusive person. <laughs> he was angry, right? And he tried to be manipulative. He tried to, you know, control the father by saying, hey, look, why is he doing this? And I'm not going to go inside that party, you know, hoping that his father would apologize to him to control him and guilt trip him and try to make it seem like, you know, if you don't do that, then what, you know, dad, if you don't change things, then maybe... If you don't maybe shut down this party early, you know, I'm definitely not going to go in. So he's trying to control the actions of his father to anger and manipulation. He was abusive to his father and controlling. In the same way, do you think that it's possible that there are abusive older brothers or older sisters in the church home today who when they don't get things going their way, they tend to get angry and controlling? Do you think that's possible? Yeah. Things that, because they won't, you won't do what they want you to do. And the reason why this manipulation goes on in the church, because the same manipulation also goes on in the home. And that's why there's so much brokenness within our churches today. I want you to notice that in the same day, the father went out twice. The first time he went out, he went out to a repentant, lost prodigal son. The second time he went out, he went out to a lost church member, older brother. The father went out twice that day, once for a lost sinner who repented and one who is a church member who is self-righteous. I want to be the prodigal son. How about you? What do you say? Amen. Now, what did the eldest son say was the reason he was angry? Look at 29 to 30 in the Bible. Notice what it says here. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So what did he call his brother? He called him what? He said, Dad, this is what? He's not my brother. He's what? Your son, right? In other words, he was so angry. He's like, that's not even my brother anymore. He's your son, Dad. He's not my brother. And called him out. I want you to notice why he was actually abusive in this situation. 
the eldest son felt a favor for a favor again. He felt that if I was to do something, right, then my dad would actually pay me back. All these years I stayed home. How come you didn't show me a party? It's like a righteousness by works. I do something and then you do something back for me. And yet, in other words, I do something good and you do nothing good for me. And yet, my younger brother does something bad and you do something good for him, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, so actually, he was very angry. I want you to notice, where did the younger son get converted? Was it in the home or was it actually out in the world? Where did he get converted? It was in the world, right? And in the same way, God often allows people to leave the church to experience out there, to actually experience conversion rather than the church. Why? Because the church is not a safe place for people to belong. Now you're wondering, where in the world did I get that, right? <laughs> Look at your handout. There's a quotation I want you to look at here. Now, this home with the older brother being abusive, do you think that it was actually a safe place being at home? No, because it was an abusive home, right? It was not a safe place. So in other words, God allowed the youngest son to leave home, and it was not in the home. Let me make the parable. It was not in the church that the youngest son was converted. Right? In fact, not only was not in a church that he was not converted, but it was not even in the church that he saw God's goodness. Are you following me? In other words, he had to leave the home and parallel to the church. He had to leave, right, the father, right, as a church. He had to leave the home and go into the world. And it was in the world that, number one, he saw for the first time in his life the goodness of God. Because his older brother, his older fellow brother Christian, right, more years in a church, should have been giving a true picture of the character of God in a church. But because he didn't give a true picture of the character of God, he gave a false picture. So because of that false picture, the younger brother never saw a true picture of Father's love. In the same way, there are many older Christian, brother Christians and older sisters in the church who've been in the church longer than the new Christians. But because they're giving a false picture of God's character, many people in the church never see the goodness of God and thus never experience repentance. So what God does is that He allows these people to leave the church and go into the world. And while they're out there in the world, away from the church, they actually see for the first time that God our Father is actually good. What a God. Amen? And not only that, they see God's goodness in the world, and it's in the world that they actually become converted. Now you're saying that's, you know, blasphemy, okay? Before He stoned me... There's a quotation I want you to look at here. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 6, page 370. Notice what it says here. It goes along with the story. By the mouth of two witnesses shall every word be established. The first witness I call to my stand to tell you what I'm saying is true is the Word of God. What do you say? Amen? The Word of God said that. The second thing I like to call my second witness I'm calling to you the stand is called the Spirit of Prophecy, which I'm going to read. And this is going to actually verify what was said. Notice what it says here. The Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth. Why? Because of the church members who have never been converted and those who were once converted but who have backslidden. What influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? 
Will it not make of no effect the God-given message which His people are to bear? I want you to notice what it says here. In other words, God actively stops people from coming to His remnant church. I'm going to say that again. God actively, not me or you I'm talking, I'm talking God Himself actively stops people from coming into His remnant church. I know it's a strong statement, but that's what it's saying. Then the next question is, I guess, is this. What, why would God actively stop people from coming into His remnant church? Right? That's a good question. And she goes on to say, because why? The church members... The church members, and the church is not a safe place. That's why God actively stops. Do you think God wants people to come into His remnant church? Of course He does. So what makes God do such an action to actually actively stop people from trying to come into His church? It's only because He knows somehow, through it all, that it's safer to be the world in certain locations is a safer place for these people to be where they're going to grow spiritually and actually experience God's goodness and experience conversion more so than even God's remnant church. Because why? Because we are prophesied to be Laodicea. Is that not true, right? Amen? I know it's a hard truth to swallow, but it is the truth. What do you say? Believe what I'm saying. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Actually, it's not what I'm saying. It's actually the word that the spirit of prophecy says. What do you say? Amen? Oh, by the way, we shouldn't play God either way, right? In other words, we shouldn't be telling people who God's bringing into the church, don't come into the church and play God, right? Let God be God, right? At the same time, if God's putting people out, right, or God's not allowing them to come out, we shouldn't use guilt trip manipulation techniques to manipulate them into the church when God's not calling them in either, right? So we don't play God either which way. Now, my next question is this. Could it be possible that God has actively stopped people from coming into the church that you currently attend is my next question. I mean, let's be real. Maybe because it is a toxic church and it's not a safe place to be in. And could it also be possible that God allowed your family or friends to actually leave the church because he felt that it was safer for them to be in the world like the prodigal son than in your own church. True, right? I think it's questions that we need to ask ourselves and really ponder upon if what's really happening in our churches is, is really what God wants to happen in our churches. Now, there are two things you can do with it for these people. Number one, you can pray for them, right? Amen? And the second thing is this. I know that sometimes when people leave the church, we tend to cut them off because, you know, they feel they're lost, right? <laughs> because they're outside of the institution, we feel that they are lost, right? And we're okay. It's almost like the older brother syndrome, right? We think, like, well, I mean, and they get mad at these younger brothers. But, you know, it could be that they're actually in a better position and God actually can work with them better out there in the, in the world, right? And actually they go out. And by the way, I'm not advocating for you to leave the church. What are you saying? Amen? <laughs> You're in it, so stay in it, right? <laughs> but I'm trying to help us to understand the condition of God's church today, Laodicea. 
The Bible says that we are living epistles known and read by men. In other words, an epistle is a letter. In other words, we are living, walking Bibles so people can see the goodness of God in you. And when they see the goodness of God in you in the church, they can be brought, that goodness can lead them to repentance. What do you say? Amen? So God wants to use you to show and to be a safe place in the church. Now, whether a church will be healthy or toxic is dependent upon their understanding of righteousness by faith, right? Because, you know, this older son here, right? Let's go on to the, the, um, Luke chapter 15 and finish up the last couple of verses. It says, And he said to him, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In other words, I have blessed you all, and you should rejoice that I've given you. In other words, you only serve me, son, because you should realize that everything I have is already yours. In other words, I've already blessed you. You only do good because you've already been blessed. You don't do good things because you expect me to do something as, you know, you ask God for something, and then he blesses you. God doesn't work that way. God already blesses us, and because he initiated first, then we respond, and then we want to serve him from a free heart. What do you say, amen? Rather than the other way around, like, that's righteousness by faith which he didn't understand, his older son. And the older son thought like, no, I do something first. I stayed home all these years first. And then you should have, secondly, God responded and threw me a party, right? And that's righteousness by works. And that's the contrast between the two. Righteousness by faith and righteousness by works. We need a fresh revelation of God's goodness in our churches today. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen? You see, what's going to change your church? A different picture of who God is. You want to change your church? How many want to change your church? What do you say? Amen? To make it a safe place. You have to be the safe place. You have to live. Like this conference, you know, this is God divine. I don't think I've been to a conference yet that has this theme of Christ our righteousness. This is a good theme. Because this is the foundation root cause. If you were to see God's goodness, if we focus, if we understand righteousness by faith and God's love more, you would become a safe place. Righteousness by faith creates a safe place. Righteousness by works, like the older brother, creates an unsafe place. And so if we want a safe place in our churches, Christ our righteousness is the theme. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? And you need to experience that in your life and understand it in your mind only, what I'm explaining, but you need to experience it in your heart as well. Let's go to our last text. It's 1 John 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. How are we to love so as to create this safe place? 1 John 4, verse 10. The Bible says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. So John is saying here, okay, you want to know what love is? Here is love. And my question is, where is love found? And I think a lot of times we focus on the wrong thing. Because John is not saying here, here in His love, by you loving God. Is that what he's saying there? He said, here in His love, not that you love God, and you need to be obedient to God, right? This is where love is found. This is really all of, what's it all about. Not that what you loving God or you obeying God because of that love, that's not should be a focus. 
Herein is love. In other words, this is really the root cause is that not that you love God, but what? That God loves you. And I really believe that our messages should be more focused upon actually God's love for us rather than what we have to do all the time. What do you say? Amen? Because if we focus upon God's love for us more so, we would then become more obedient because God's love through us will become more obedient. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? And that's what God wants us to experience in our lives. And that's what we told him. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first, what? Loved us. So you loving is really no big deal. Why? Because you need to experience God's love for you first, and then your love will actually become alive. Look at what it says here in Desire of Ages. I'm going to, this quotation from Ellen White. That's why she says about focusing on God's love, she says, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. If we'll be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. What do you say? Amen? In other words, we should spend a thoughtful one hour a day focusing on God's love toward us. What do you say? Amen? Amen. And you will see God's love. Come just as you are, weak, helpless, and ready to die. His pardon is full and free, and His acceptance of you means rest to your soul, rest in His love. I want to rest in love. What do you say? Amen? There was a young man who had run away from home, and he had gone far away too. And he had had a last argument with his dad, had turned really bad and very bitter, and he had become very angry, and he left home. But it was many years later, and he felt repentant, and he wanted to come home. But he wasn't sure if his dad would accept him coming home. So he went on a train, and he called his mom, and he said, Mom, I don't know if dad wants me home. But you know what, Mom? Tell dad that if he really wants me home, just put like a little white handkerchief on the window. If I see a white handkerchief, then I'll know that dad really wants me home. So they hung up, and he continued on the train, and they're going on, and sat next to a minister. And he told the minister his whole story, how his dad didn't get along, and he used to fight and argue, and got very angry, and he ran away from home, and he left home, and hasn't been years since he came home. And he told him the whole story, and he told him that, you know, he told his mom to let his dad know that if he really wants him home, then to leave a handkerchief by the window, a white handkerchief, to know that he's accepted and his dad wants him back home. And so as he was getting closer, he couldn't bear to see anything and see what was ahead. And he told the minister, look, I don't want to see. I don't look at my house. I, I can't stand to look at what could, could be because I'm afraid he's going to say no. So could you please look out the, the, the train window and look for me and see if, if you see anything white, please, minister, tell me. If you see anything white, please let me know. So as they were going out, um, the minister was looking and looking. And the boy said, it's just around the corner. And he's looking and the minister is almost like he forgot who he was. He's like, 
screaming and jumping up and down and screaming, look, look, you just got to look out there. You just got to look out there the window. You got to look what's out there. And as he looked, the young boy ran to the train when he looked out the train window and he saw, he saw not only a white handkerchief, but he saw white sheets on the windows and he saw, you know, white paper everywhere, napkins and shirts and pants and everything white there ever was. And the whole house was just covered with white. And his son was so touched and he, last thing the minister saw was the back legs of his this son running with all his might up the hill to see his dad. And he was reunited again. And that's how our Heavenly Father is with us also. We serve a loving God who can't wait for you to come home. What do you say? Amen? And he wants you to come home. He wants you. Because when you look around that train window, his whole home is covered with white. And he's longing for you to come home. Where is your Pu'uhonua? Where is your safe place? May your safe place be found in a God who accepts you and loves you. Just exactly as you are. And love you so much that he can't leave you that way. What a God we serve. What do you say? Amen? I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? We're going to pray, but we're going to do a breakout session right after the prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and love. And I pray, Lord, that we may see the message of your righteousness in our lives and that we may see how much you really love us and that every white thing is on that home and this, you're just longing for us to come home. So, Lord, in our hearts at this time, we leave it open for those who want to come home. Thank you for accepting and loving us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.